Hey, 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 Pop Culture Quorum Deo. Jeff Wright here with the good Dr. Jared Moore. We're finally talking about Disney's Encanto. Uh, Jared, this is kind of an emergency pod, even though the movies have been out for a long time. If our listeners don't know, why are we talking about Encanto today? Well, you did a, a Twitter thread that offended all the right people. I am currently the most ratioed person on Twitter. I think. <laughs> I, I'm not. I really don't have delusions of grandeur. I think I'm at like 3,200 quote tweets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really is the most ratioed I've ever seen a tweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm stubbornly convinced I'm right, though. It's beautiful. <laughs> so yeah, I made Twitter mad because I pointed out that one of the characters in Encanto uh, is a gender swab dude. So there you go. That's your that's your teaser teaser for this episode. We're going to skip the uh, normal segments just to review the film here, and then we'll be back with Spider Man No Way Home next week, and we'll do sort of our uh, our normal stuff there. If that's cool by you, Doctor Moore. Yes, sir. All right. Tell our listeners how you've been doing. Doing well. Doing well. Just hanging in there, man. It's uh, COVID is still crazy, but um, church is doing well, and you know, family's doing well. School. Kids' school's doing well, so a lot, lot of good going on. Thank you, Lord. A lot of blessings, right? Amen. Yeah, so let's talk about Encanto. Um, how long has it been since you've seen Encanto? I watched it last night. Oh, okay, so you weren't you weren't chopping up the bit to see the film? No, no. Um, I just wasn't. I, I had been, you know, uh, kids' movies, and, you know, uh, there's only so many I can see. Yeah. Well, I have younger daughters than, than your daughter. And that does impact probably how we relate to movies when they come out and whatnot. But we just hadn't seen Encanto. Um, I didn't see the previous Disney release either about the boy who was a fish or whatever. I only know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I can't remember <laughs> the title of it, but it just looked uninteresting. And my kids were like, can we watch that? And I was like, yeah, we could watch that sometime. And they eventually forgot because it looks boring. Mm-hmm. You know? But I had had several friends tell me good things about Encanto, and I thought, okay, well, let's let's watch Encanto and see what this is about. Uh, we were probably the last people to it. Um, beautiful movie, right? I mean, oh yeah, vibrant. Uh, maybe some of the catchiest songs that I've heard since Moana, which makes sense because sure. Lin Manuel Miranda is probably the greatest living songwriter. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I tend to love his writing. But uh, that movie's got some problems. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, why don't we start chunking this thing up? You want to give us, uh, do you have any kind of summary of Encanto? Yeah, I'll try. No summary. I'll try a, uh, a magical family mm-hmm. whose relationships have created a thriving community thrown into crisis when the magic that has given them these gifts begins to disappear. Mm-hmm. How's that for a summary? It is good. Okay. That's it. So, listener um, or watcher, that's our spoiler warning. If you don't want to hear more about this movie, not sure why you hit download and play on this, but <laughs> if you don't want to hear more uh, about the plot of this film, you need to pause it here, go watch the show, come back and, and listen to me and Jared finish it up. So, Jared, where do we want to go from here? Uh, creation, fall, redemption, glorification. Um, Categories of the Christian worldview? Yeah, yeah. 
All right, so let's talk about creation in Encanto. And, I mean, we're looking there for stuff that's inherently good, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's inherently good in the world of Encanto? Um, I mean, the family emphasis is good. The dependent on family, loving one another. Um, even the thorniness of family, you know, is is kind of real reality, right? The crazy uncles and... <laughs> yeah, right. We've all got that, right? Yeah, that is the thing that... I probably enjoyed most about the world of Encanto. Visually, it's really impressive. The music's great mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like catchy and, and well-written turns of phrase. But the actual world was super refreshing to go to because I can't remember the last time I saw a Disney movie that was super excited about traditional families. Mm-hmm. And this movie is. And I think it's where like wokeness has got Disney of at least two minds. You know, if you were to if you were to set a western a western story about a traditional family is just something that Disney has no evidence gives no evidence of being interested in. Mm-hmm. But if they want to give representation to families of color and other cultures, well they're going to go out into the world and find that the things that they despise in the west and want to see thrown away are inherently part of reflecting those other cultures. Well, mm-hmm. and so it was just nice for Disney to kind of get backed into a corner by their own multiculturalism mm-hmm. and get to say, "Gosh, it's nice to be with a family." Yeah, the uh, the thing, one of the things my wife pointed out that falls under this heading that I thought was great is so much of the activity in this movie is built on either a family meal or getting to a family meal. Mm-hmm. It's you know we're going to have dinner together. We're going to have a wedding feast. You know, all this stuff is built around just a family eating a meal. And I, man, I can't remember, you know, again, Moana, there's a family structure, but it's kind of a village that's left behind. Um, it's hard to even remember when the last time the the home was so central to mm-hmm. a big ticket Disney item. And so I, I value that quite a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought that was great. And I mean, even the the candle... You know, arguing that our gifts come outside of us, you know, by design, um, is kind of arbitrary in this. But at least in the the movie, they're having to submit to at the beginning. They're having to submit to the candle's will, hmm. and uh, so there's this emphasis upon. Without saying it, I think the candle is God. Now they they discard it um, by the end of it, um, and they correct uh, the candle's design. Um, but at least at the beginning, it's good, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it basically delivers them from danger. I haven't really thought of it as, you know, God or whatever. It is sort of a deus ex machina. It mm-hmm. makes everything for the family better, and then it gives them a theater for the, the other dramatics. Uh, but, yeah, that that's another point in Encanto's favor. I've spent three years reading books about people, thoughtful Christians, saying, we need a, re- a return to an enchanted view of the world, mm-hmm. right? That we, materialism has done too much to us. We've stripped all of the magic from the world. And there's been guys doing good practical work on that as storytellers. Indy Wilson, in his notes from A Tilted World, has, um, has this section where he's like, we live in a world where sweet-tasting fruit grows on trees. And you may have a caterpillar climb that same tree, build itself a sleeping bag, and then come out a butterfly, you know? There's, there's people who are showing us the enchantment of the world, 
But I kind of like that Encanto just says, the world's magical. The candle's part of that. Now let's get on with it. You know, it's an enchanted <laughs> world. Yeah. And so uh, what do you think the, what do you think fall is? Well, I mean, this is maybe the biggest category in my mind when I think about Encanto. And I obviously made sad Twitter sad uh, talking about some of this. So I have thoughts. Let me let you answer first, though, because sure. I could probably go off on a couple different things. Well, just fall uh, when the magic runs out. Um, you know, when I mean, that's fall at the beginning. But by the end, fall is not being who you want to be. Yeah. You know, not being who you want to be. It doesn't matter how you were designed. It doesn't matter what gifts you have. What matters is what you want. Like, that is supreme in this movie. What you want. That's a brilliant point, man. And that is the fall, right? I mean, uh, in the in the garden, it's the whole garden is yours. Don't eat there. And they think, you know what? I'd like to be like a god. And they go into rebellion. That's mm-hmm. a really good point, Jared. And so that's fall. What, what would you add to that? Well, that is the fallenness here, uh, I guess, fundamentally, that this is a movie about self-identification. And this is where woke Disney can't get away from their deconstructionist instincts mm-hmm. because they, they want to, you know, they want to celebrate these other uh, cultures, but they have to attack the ideological, emotional, and spiritual concepts that have shaped those cultures into what they are. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that I have an obligation to my family, that I have a role to play, that I have uh, certain gifts that are supposed to be used for the betterment of my family and other people around me Mm -hmm. are part of why, you know, Colombian culture exists in a way that Disney thinks, oh, that would make a good movie. Mm -hmm. But they have to bring in a secular, materialistic Western identity and say, oh, but deconstruct all that erode all that, break from that, that's oppression. Mm-hmm. Unless you choose it. But unless you choose it, you break with that. That's where the good life is to be found. And there's several characters who, um, who, who show why Disney can't understand, appreciate, or portray the goodness of a South American culture like that. Mm-hmm. So I think the one that... Uh, that you should you should probably see is most obvious. There uh, isn't the one who's kind of viscerally confrontational, but a friend of ours who doesn't want public credit uh, pointed this out. It's Bruno. Uh, you know, this movie wants men off on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. And I also get that there is a distinct uh, matriarchal culture to some of these South American communities like this. I, I don't think that's inauthentic to say Alma is at the center of the household, mm-hmm. right? But that is done so large in Encanto that men are at at, at best peripheral, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, the friend who made this insight said, we don't talk about Bruno could very legitimately be we don't talk about men. Uh, the sister who has... I can't remember if she's a sister or cousin, but you remember there's a, one of them has the power to control the weather. Mm-hmm. And her husband is legitimately the only uh, male character with agency in the entire film. And it's basically one scene where she's upset and storm clouds are brewing over her head. And he pats her on the shoulder and tells her, I mean, that's supposed to communicate comforting. And the skies get better. 
And I'm like, that's that's the most active there's a, there is or that we've seen a male character be when he sings with his wife about their wedding day, and we don't talk about Bruno. Mm-hmm. She literally tells him, "Stop! I'm telling the story," and he's <laughs> like, "Yes, dear." You know, yeah. And and that's the best portrayal. But the you know this goes all the way over to Bruno, and Bruno is kind of scandalous when you actually understand how he functions in the film. This is a matriarchal society. Um, everybody in it, everybody who's a mover and a shaker is a woman, right, Mm -hmm. in this film. Bruno is the one male voice in the family. He tells women things they don't like to hear. Now, not just women, but women things they don't like to hear. It's going to rain on your wedding day. Your goldfish is going to die. And the family is so... Repulsed by that, they are completely happy with building a culture where he's in exile. Mm. It takes a niece to go, maybe Bruno shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't all be comfortable pretending like Bruno doesn't exist. Um, and it's all played for yokes and haha, and he's there to be the mysterious character. But that's what's going on. This guy just tells them truths they don't like, and they're like, can he disappear forever and we'll stop talking about it? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how very tolerant. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, and so, that, I mean, that, that's more of what I can do on this thing. I don't want to dominate the conversation, though. I mean, did you notice the? Did you notice there aren't any dudes except for the one who's particularly noticeably a dude wearing a dress? Yeah, well, uh, I definitely noticed that. Yeah, there, there, uh, there is this simplistic idea that like we can't platform women without completely eradicating men. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, as if human society can function without either. Right. It, it's insane. But they're doing it. Um, you want to talk about Louisa? Oh, yeah, yeah. So talk about how gender roles are out of whack in this and start with Louisa. Well, I mean, I think what we just talked about is maybe an example of that. The 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 dad, the the character who would be the grandpa. Mm-hmm. Is Bar? Uh, excuse me, Bar is uh, is Bambi's mother in this movie? He dies to make the stuff happen, mm-hmm. and he's held up as like you know, sort of quiet heroic figure. The candle comes in response to his death, and then we don't need to talk about Bruno. The guys just aren't needed. We'll go build this lovely house with magic, uh, which I guess is how. I mean, it's a you know, it's a pretty apt idea or a representation of the idea that a world can be built without men. We'll just, we'll replace them with pixie dust and mm-hmm. strong intentions, you know? Um, so it, it's, it's sort of broken fundamentally. And I don't, I'm not saying that about the South American culture is supposed to pr- portray. I don't, I don't know if they function well in gender roles there, but Disney's version of that in Encanto creates kind of a hellscape. Uh, it's bright and shiny and got cool pop songs, but it's kind of a hellscape in the ways we just talked about. But it, I mean, you just can't tell a story that doesn't have male characters. So what they did is create Louisa and make her a guy and, you know, try to shove this triangular pattern into a square hole and mm-hmm. say, boy, isn't it great? She can just be everything a guy is. And everything will be fine, but she can't. You know, that's there's a there's a Twitter user that if our listeners are on Twitter, I would recommend go following. 
Uh, her handle is Royal Blue Raptor. And she pointed out in a thread she wrote on this movie that Louisa is clearly an older brother who should be standing in the gap for um, basically the father who's not there. Mm-hmm. But she can't do it. She's miserable doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's that point that Louisa is clearly uh, a male character in a female presentation is a thing that set Twitter ablaze. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to notice that stuff. You're not allowed to comment on it. You're not allowed to notice it's a problem. So we've talked about this off air just to bring our listeners into it. Where are some of the ways that you can see that Louisa is a guy? Well, Mirabelle, at the very first song, talks about Louisa. And she says that Isabella is the beauty and that Louisa is the brawn, which is a very clear example. The brawn's always a man, you know? Sure. And um, um, also... You mean in reality? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, always. The phrase reflects the way the world works. The yeah. beauty in the brawn. It's always like... like mm-hmm. It's almost like beauty in the beast, right? Mm-hmm. And um, not just that, but she compares herself to Hercules. Um, clear as a bell, like comparing her to a male demigod... Um, is is obvious like she couldn't think of a strong woman to compare herself to you know or disney couldn't find a strong woman who looks like louisa in history um anywhere to compare her to even in mythology yeah for real in in their you know in their catalog of marvel films you know um yeah man you're nailing it carry right on and, um, I mean, those are the, the two clearest examples, not to mention that she's seven feet tall. She looks like she's bigger than Arnold Schwarzenegger when he won Mr. Olympia. Sure. And <laughs> sure. she makes him look like a little guy. For sure. You know, and, um, and I think you pointed it out that the other characters with their gifts, they are not, they don't take on physical characteristics. Like the little boy who can speak to animals did not become animalistic in any way. He looks exactly the same after he receives his gift. But we're to believe that Louisa, um, because she has the gift of strength, that she all of a sudden turned into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So those two points, as you just highlighted, I think are the dead giveaways. You know, it's not just sad Twitter who has come after me for this, but I've had these conversations locally with thoughtful brothers and sisters, and I can't understand how they missed the point you just made. Um, Louisa is told to redirect the course of a river. That's famously one of Hercules' great labors. Mm-hmm. Later, they, in case you miss that, they will literally have her sing about Hercules not fighting Cerberus, show you Hercules running away from Cerberus, her picking up the sword and shield and slaying the beast. <laughs> She's Hercules. Right. That's who she is. And she approaches the world the way a male hero would approach the world. Um, through using her physical gifts to bring goodness, right? Um, And then that point about um, the fact that no other magic user gets physical alterations from the magic. The the most obvious comparisons, I think they're probably not the kid who can talk to animals. There's a character who literally hears everything, and you would expect her to have, if it's following the Louisa paradigm, Mm -hmm. her ears would be satellite dishes. Right. Uh, Bruno can see the future. His eyes would be that big. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that. Louisa, however, is built like, you know, Drax the Destroyer. Yeah. And it, it's a dead giveaway. It's not even an attempt to be subtle. They gave her a deep voice or a deeper voice. Like, I mean, all of this is intentional. I, I have 
I've written this a couple different places, but I'm assuming our listeners don't always read everything that we write. If I could do anything without becoming like, you know, a, a scumbag, I would love to get the casting director who decided that Louisa needed a super husky voiced actress to voice her, inject him with truth serum and say, why does she need to be husky voiced? Mm-hmm. And just let him tell me. Um, the artist, too, like who drew her and the choices made. Yeah. Because like, she looks like Gaston to me. I mean, sure. I wonder if you could take, I wonder if they used, you know, Disney's famous for using previous sketches um, and previous, like to make it shorter or faster. And I just wonder if she's built off of someone in another Disney movie. So I, I've thought about this too. And one of the things that uh, came to my mind was the big soldier doof in uh, The Emperor's New Groove. Oh, yeah. She does look a lot she like She looks like him wearing a blue dress. Her figure. Yeah. Like, I mean, she is a, tri- face, she's but... a triangle. Yeah. On top, she's got the square jawline. Uh, she's super tall. Uh, the difference is she's not a doof. She's competent, mm-hmm. right? Because they couldn't make her a doof. Right. They, they have to make her competent. But yeah, I mean, Disney hasn't only given us waif-like white blonde Disney princesses. Uh, the the mother in Lilo and Stitch is, I don't want to say she's a plus-size woman. She's just not a super skinny size one woman. Mm-hmm. We know what Disney... We know Disney has the capacity to show different body types, mm-hmm. but that's not what they're doing with Louisa. Right. And the thing that has been most kind of frustrating for me is this immediate, uh, I say frustrating, it's just simplistic. And you're like, think think better. Just think for a minute about this. This idea that Louisa is supposed to give us representation. Who's she representing? She can't even find somebody to compare herself to in history. Right. I mean. The- Except a man. Well, yeah, a man. That that's who. That and that's what I actually think is happening here. I think they want to represent a transgender power lifter mm. in Disney. Interesting. That's what I think they actually want to do. Um, but I, you know, bigger women exist. Yeah, they totally do. None of them look like Louisa. Yeah, strong women exist. That's absolutely right. None of them look like Louisa. <laughs> and. Um, you know, I told you, it seems like I feel like it's grandiose. It's just an, it's just a funny phenomenon. But I I don't know anybody who's had a Twitter thread blow up like mine did. So I've had, again, 3,000 plus, as of this recording, maybe we're up to four quote tweets of people just raging about this. <laughs> so there's this one account, and it's the name of the account is something like Built Lesbian or something. <laughs> I, and you know what? She posted some pictures of herself dressed up like Louisa. There's like three in the tweet. She kind of looks like Louisa. <clears throat> now, is there, a, you know, if if Twitter collects its uh, its aggregate ability to find a woman who looks like Louisa and can surface one person who is a bodybuilder who got up in the morning and said, I'm going to wear Louisa's dress. I'm going to style my hair that way. Uh, you know, I'm a person of color, and so the skin tone matches. If we can find the one, you have not disproved my thesis, <laughs> right? She is not representation if you've literally never met anyone like her. Right. You met someone who had two of her characteristics. Was she taller than the door frame you <laughs> entered the building through? I don't know if she could fit through the door yeah. with her shoulders. I, I, I hear you. And so, like... 
if anybody is hearing this and they're outraged and they want to say, Jeff, you're overthinking it, please come with a better critique than it's just about representation. She represents no human being before the advent of transgendered uh, athletes. And even that, there aren't many men that you could say that this that she's like. No. Seven foot tall men that are, can barely fit through a door. Right. They're so broad that can lift what she lifts. <laughs> right. You know, sad cat Twitter is, oh, you're, you know, it's a, it's a cartoon about magic users. Yeah, sure is. And there's a reason you're upset that I'm poking a hole in that, right? You, you can freak out and say I'm overthinking it, but there's a reason it got your dander up that I said there's a problem here. And it's just unfortunate because the movie would be better off if she was just an older brother. Mm-hmm. That Royal Blue Raptor uh, made made an incredible point, too, um, that basically Louisa is telling the world, I can't handle being the older brother. Mm-hmm. There's a version of her that would use that tremendous strength to, instead of lifting the town donkeys, she's taking care of all the kiddos and juggling kiddos. I mean, you know, the, the imagery writes itself. Uh, carrying the sick to the hospital, I think is what uh, Royal Blue Raptor knows. There, mm-hmm. There's a ton of ways to do this as a woman. Mm-hmm. But the the song that's basically Louise's characterization is her fighting the world on behalf of her family, mm-hmm. which is distinctly not how a woman uses her strength. It's not how South American culture, that's not how it really is, juggling all these things, right? Yeah. I, mean, uh, I mean, do they have a... A lot of uh, single mothers that are picking up donkeys and carrying them on their back, their back, and moving houses. And I mean, it's just—it's all this. I mean, obviously, men aren't doing that as well. But what is the um, the physical strenuous labor that is necessary to provide for a family, right? And what is being done, right? And you're on to this in the way that the real world just completely continues to uh, be stubbornly against this woke idea of egalitarian gender interchangeability. So you're right that neither group lifts churches, but construction companies build churches Mm -hmm. and they have people carrying great weight at human scale. Yeah. How many women have voluntarily sought careers as bricklayers and stonemasons and concrete masters? Yeah. I'm not saying they've been kept out of the industry. Okay. I, I, I'll just grant you that. There's been some great patriarchal dam set up to stop all the women rushing in to carry bricks all day. How many women do you know who want to do that job? Right. How many women do you know who have stayed employed doing that job for 10 years? Very small. Very small. Now, you and I, I know we're from a small town, but you and I know a family who's, you know, basically every brother in that family went into construction, bricklaying, building buildings. Um, None of the, you know, there's no sisters. There's no daughters. There's no um, nieces that are there. Where are they? Well, they're in the office uh, running the company so the men can be out hauling this stuff, right? Like they're the ones making sure the stuff that doesn't have to, doesn't require hauling tremendous amounts of weight gets done so the guys can go do the guy part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Louisa, I mean, Louisa just... It, Attempts to ignore all that, but Disney can't get away from it. They have to write her as breaking under that pressure. Uh, the natural law won't be ignored. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, well, what what about uh, 
So there's some other gender roles, right? So like Isabella. What about Isabella? Yeah, so that's interesting. I just kind of riffed on Louisa because Louisa is so immediate, mm-hmm. right? Um, she's the big like billboard. Something crazy's going on here, right? Mm-hmm. So th- that's why I wrote something about her. But Isabella's the really sinister character. She's the one that I legitimately think if you have a young daughter, you may not want to let them watch Encanto. Hmm. Um, you, I mean, we've talked about this here before. You've written on it. Um, pop culture helps children understand what's normal. Mm-hmm. Stories teach people what's normal, right? And the young brain, the young human brain by God's design is a sponge. That's why children can become multilingual really quickly. They, they're they made to get to know their world really fast. Mm-hmm. So everything that goes on five to ten years is just super sticky in the brain. And that's why it's so important to be really careful about what you're crafting as a sense of normal for your children. And uh, a, a five to ten year old brain who's absorbing data at near superhuman rates probably shouldn't be watching Encanto, or at least it should be on your mind, should she be, or mm-hmm. should he be. So there's Louisa, all that we just talked about. But then Isabella is the one that kind of makes me angry at Disney. With Louisa, I kind of feel like they screwed up and ended up with an egg on their face. With Isabella, they're really starting to screw with some important stuff. So Isabella is beautiful. She's the closest thing to a traditional Disney princess mm-hmm. in this um, in this uh, environment. And her job is to bring beauty to the world. So wherever she goes, whatever she wants to do, it, she, these beautiful flowers spring up in her presence and at her will. That's the most wonderful description of, of what a woman uniquely brings to the world that I think I can remember in a Disney movie. And like it's top 10 that their mother also heals people by providing them food. Like I look at both of those and I'm like, that is gorgeous. That is beautiful. Thank you. That's wonderful. More of this, please. Women are unique in the way they bring beauty to the world and they bring healing through their unique gifts. I mean, like, do you know how excited I would be for a movie like that? Mm -hmm. But by the end of the movie, Isabella rejects that vocation. She decides rather than growing flowers, she wants to grow cacti. And she sings in the song that defines her character, I'm so tired of what's beautiful, give me something true. Mm. Now, the, you know, the Western mind has always understood that truth, goodness, and beauty are inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. And these are descriptors we use to, to describe who God is. God is true, and he is good, and he is beautiful. Here in Encanto, the character who, as a woman, is made to bring beauty to the world says, I don't want that. In fact, that's fake and false. And I can't remember exactly the detail on this, but I'm pretty sure she explicitly rejects her opportunity to become a child rearer. Mm. Something comes up about having babies and like flowers pop out on her head in a way that's like it freaked her out or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. She she decides to start dressing in black. So you have this character whose job is to bring beauty to the world as a woman the way that women do. And she rejects that as false. What's true is growing cacti, unembraceable, unbeautiful. Now, they some of them flower beautifully, but that's not the point. Right. The point is to be this prickly thing that nobody really... Uh, 
I mean, people decorate with cacti, but there's a reason we use the rose as <laughs> the image of beauty and not the cacti, right? And yeah. you can't approach a cactus. It's by design. It's unapproachable. And then literally embraces the dark side of the palette and rejects child rearing. So, you know, I've gotten all the, all the smoke for Louisa. Isabella is really the problem. Hmm. And Isabella is bad enough that we've had a conversation in our family. Like we've seen in Canto now. Our daughter, our youngest daughter is probably too young to let this thing stay in rotation. So Encanto is probably going to go on the bookshelf for a while and come back out when my daughter actually knows what the real world looks like a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that she's the big problem. Well said, man. Well said. So what, what about like, um, what about authority being out of whack? So I think uh, the villain is um, Alma. I think she's the villain in this, and um, and she's just caring about the surviving of her fl- of her family, and they're flourishing based on the design of the um, protector or the the candle that ha- that is godlike. Um, so that's what she's concerned with. She wants them to be who the candle says they are, who the magic says they are, and um, but she's the villain because Mirabelle essentially has to correct her and everyone else about being who they want to be instead of who the only authorities are the candle and mirror or uh, Alma. And um, so ignore those authorities and now submit to Mirabelle as the authority, which she's essentially telling them to follow their hearts, right? Follow your heart. Don't be who uh, God designed you to be. Be who you want to be. Be whatever you want to be. Don't be who the people who love you and that you love need you to be. Mm-hmm. Be whatever you feel like being today. It's all about you. It's all about what you want. And that's actually how the magic is restored. Um, it all of a sudden s- submits to Mirabelle. And, um, I thought that was a particularly insightful, uh, comment you made when we were kind of talking through this episode. Now, there's two versions of this, right? <clears throat> so, if Disney were telling a story where uh, a, a woman pressed into duty because her husband was dead and she did the best she could and tried to create a life for her family, but things went sideways, that would be a story that I'd be fairly enthusiastic about mm-hmm. because, I mean, basically because there have been women in those circumstances. Absolutely. Or some scumbag guy bailed on her. Yeah. And she had to try to make the best she could. And it's really hard to be a single mom. Yeah. Like, that'd be an awesome story. And it'd be a great opportunity for Disney to say something true about the real world. That it, you really, that the, the tradition, the traditional nuclear family really matters. Mm-hmm. And if you pull either one out of the picture, um, it doesn't mean that those families are illegitimate. It doesn't mean that those families can't do good things. But it's just really hard to make that work. Mm-hmm. And boy, wouldn't that be a rare story? Oh, yeah. But that's not what they're doing. Again, they they think they are representing these other cultures that are not white and Western. But they can't help but destroy them. If you're in a matriarchal South American family, it is the daughter's role to honor the, the, the matriarch. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, if things go right, grow into a matriarch. Right. But here, they're broken secular Western version that thinks you can have Christian values without Christ goes in as a colonizer 
and colonizes those things by flipping on its head and saying the child is actually the insight. The the young person is the person who should lead the old person. Mm -hmm. These traditional values, these traditional structures have to be entirely subverted and deconstructed and then have all the, uh, the adults who listen. The Bible, South American culture, traditional Western culture agrees that age is a fountain of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Now they have to submit to a child. God's Word says it's a judgment when children lead a people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you just look at Disney and you say, you raging hypocrites, you are the worst version of the problem you think you're correcting. Mm-hmm. It would have been so much more simple for Alma to have come to take stock of her leadership of the family, mm-hmm. even be helped by a granddaughter. You yeah. can say, do you see that they're crushed under this? Let me help you as a counselor. And say, we need to make some important changes here. Now, I'm a patriarchal guy. I think patriarchy is inevitable. I think this movie shows you patriarchy is inevitable. I think that Louisa shows you patriarchy is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Nature hates a vacuum of men, and so it creates it from somewhere. But I don't hate the thought that somebody would make a matriarchal movie. Right. But do it in a way that doesn't hate matriarchy. Mm-hmm. Do it in a way that doesn't despise it and undercut it and try to destroy it, particularly not under the guise of representation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um I also think that uh, the gifting of God is out of whack, right? Mm. So the candle gives gifts, but by the end of the movie, Mirabelle, she's telling people not to live according to their giftedness, but according to who they desire to be. You know, follow mm. your heart, um, and that's horrible advice, right? I mean, you and I would have loved and probably still would love to be uh, NBA players. Uh, and if we were still trying to do that, our families would starve to death. <laughs> And we would be despicable people. Yes. I mean, that that's really what it needs to get down to. We would be poor fathers and husbands in a way that's morally reprehensible. Yes. Like God has not, it's very clear, God has not designed us to be able to do that. And so for us to desire to do something that God has not designed us to do, um, well, I mean, and that goes for anything. You can't just be whatever you want to be. You have to have a giftedness, an ability that does not come from you, that comes from another place, and you need to live according to that. Like, I'm trying to help my children look at how God has gifted them, right? And to celebrate that and to pursue that rather than to pursue something that they may not be gifted in. Like, it would, it, it's similar to when uh, children are picking out colleges or vocations. You know, if, if they're uh, really intellectually gifted and they enjoy certain things or it comes natural to them, then I'm going to encourage them towards that direction, whichever direction that may be, instead of saying, well, I really like the University of Tennessee football team. They don't really have my, um, they don't really have a degree for my program that I'm good at, but I'm going to go there because I like the football team. Like, well, you're going on your own. I'm not going to pay for that. (laughs) Because... It's a foolish choice. It's a foolish choice and it's a, it's not just a rebellion against parental authority and how God has given us, but also against God's own design of you. You know, God has designed you to be a particular unique individual for his glory. And, um, and he's given you these gifts, not so that you would squander them. Um, and I, of course, I'm, I'm the villain. If I'm, in, if I'm exist in this movie, I'm the villain. Um, I'm more like, uh, Alma. Uh, and, and so it's just... Or Bruno. Or Bruno, I yeah. mean, if you're telling people, ah, what you want probably isn't going to happen for these reasons, mm-hmm. they're like, ah, let's just 
shut his door off and never talk about him again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's be who we want to be. And um, there, I think that that is a that's a miserable life and a miserable existence. Eventually, you're going to work for someone who's going to fire you. Eventually, your selfishness is going to run into someone else's selfishness. Right. I mean, that's what's going to come down to. And then you're in a full blown Marxist environment. Because all that determines who's going to get what they want is who's got more strength. Yeah. And Louise is going to win, you know. Yeah. Uh, internet culture <clears throat> has done a lot of bad for us, but a lot of these memes that go around about people, you know, dreaming about living in a communist environment. Like, I was going to write protest songs for the for the for the artistic <laughs> class, and they're like, "Shut up and dig the potatoes." You are going to end up digging potatoes. You're yeah. not going to get to be the free blooming creature that does whatever you want. You're going to do what the powerful person says, yep. and it'll be a twisted, broken version of patriarchy because there'll be some dude with a gun at the top of the org chart pointing it at everybody weaker than him, making them do what they want. So Interesting. So you mean in real life, people don't get to just do what they want? No. Even if, I mean, even in a world that can tell stories about a magic candle uh, that gives you know wishes that make the house grow, there's no magic candle like that. There's a natural law, mm-hmm. and it's a good guide. The, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about, I mean, everybody knows video game culture and obsession has consumed men our age, a little bit older and a little bit younger, mm-hmm. right? Everybody knows that this is some kind of problem, uh, but it's so widespread, nobody really knows how to fix it without just having people turn them off. So, like, this is a thing. I love playing video games. You and I burned through a ton of time. We should have been much more produ- productive in college yeah, sure. playing video games. Um, I still play video games as an adult, but what I don't do, and this isn't some, I'm not a hero for this. It's just how the natural law guides you into good things. I don't park myself in a man cave or my bedroom and grind through Red Dead Redemption by myself for six hours on a Saturday. The last time I've played video games, every time I've played video games with my son and had a great time is because he wants to play me in NBA 2K. Mm-hmm. The, the natural law tells me what I should be doing even with my recreational interests. Mm-hmm. And it gives me an appropriate outlet that's good, right? And so every time you start turning away from that natural law, your life becomes disordered and you become self-destructive. But mm-hmm. if you give yourself to it, you find out you're in a in a current and that current leads to good things. Mm. So this whole, yeah, this whole like <clears throat> do what you want nonsense, I mean, we're watching it happen. We're watching it with the D-trans community. Where these people are horrified about what they've done. And they're right to think somebody should have told me this was a bad idea. Someone should have stopped me rather than putting a scalpel to me. Uh, they are right in that way because mm-hmm. we trust people in society to uh, know the medical arts, know what's good for the human being. But as we've increasingly become like Isabella and followed Mirabelle's voice, mm-hmm. all those things are being lost and people are being destroyed. Amen. And so it's not just so natural law. It's a violation of it, but it's also a violation of love God, love your neighbor. But- yeah, which I th- see, I think the natural law scales up to, in like natural law, murder is a bad thing. It's pretty common and widespread. Sure. The purest version of that is Jesus Christ saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. So natural law, better understood, always moves you closer to Christ. And that's why Christians have the clearest expression in the ethical teachings of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's the exact same deal, right? If you're rejecting the natural law down here, you're rejecting Christ, who's actually the highest true, good and beautiful expression of those things. Right. Get close to him and 
honor him as Lord, and you're going to find that the natural law is working in your favor. Is there anything else fallen, you think, or do you think um, you already talk about the gospel? I mean, I think we've talked about enough that's fallen in it to just tell you that this, this movie is a very bright and shiny package, but you need to be real careful uh, if you have anyone other than yourself watching that movie with you in your household. You, this isn't an easy one to put on and walk away to do chores while the kiddos enjoy a Disney movie. This is one that you're going to want to have real protocols for. Mm. And so do you, just thinking about glorification uh, in this movie, you know, it's uh, talking about um, glorification happens when everybody submits to Mirabelle rather than the candle and Alma. Um, And the lasting magic, the eternal magic, comes through being your authentic self. Do you think that's accurate? Hmm. Yeah, I guess I guess I think that's an accurate summary. What um, what makes you ask? Um, well, just comparing that to the gospel, how it how it is much better um, to be who God designed us to be. I think you're kicking against the goads when you um, kick against God's design. Like you, you can't do it. Societies crumble, families crumble, um, and I mean you can see it. You can see the wake of the sexual revolution, no-fault divorce, and just how our society and children who are raised in that, um, how America is not better. Um, You know, there's this emphasis on, uh, you know, rejecting the, rejecting patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And and can we really (laughs) say that America as a whole is even pragmatically better with that rejection? Uh, I don't think we can. And... um, you know, I think that uh, we need to return to what God's Word says and God's design, that God's design is better. You know, God says to submit to Him. He says um, submit to His design. So His Word, uh, natural law, whether it's through um, what He says through creation or the inerrant Scriptures. Um, you know, God says to honor your father and mother. And that that's not what happens in this, right? Hear, uh, hear. Um, their that's wisdom. Right. God says to submit, for example, to the governing authorities. Um, because they they come from him, and I think that includes the authority that um, you know submitting to your parents, submitting to those who have authority over you. But ultimately, it, it's due to God's design, right? Right. And that that design you're talking about there even includes things like gratitude. So mm-hmm. honoring my father and mother easily and should pour it out to what are the good things my people have built? Yeah. How do I cherish them? Mm-hmm. And we live in a world where. Ray Ortland is rejoicing in the death of Bible Belt culture. Mm-hmm. That's a failure to honor your father and mother. Yeah. Um, and again, for the multiculturalist and, and probably for Ortland himself, if this movie had um, the young protagonist, I forgot her name. Uh, um, Mirabelle? Mirabelle. If she had said, I hate this, I, you know, I want to bleach my hair blonde and I want to pick up surfing, they would rightly be like, man, that's a shoddy story to tell about South American culture, Mm -hmm. right? But Americans, Westerners, are supposed to see that as virtuous. Um, Augustine knew better than that. Mm -hmm. The the Western theological tradition and ethical tradition knew better than that. We've got to recover that. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, that's that's sidebar in support of what you're saying. So like Um, standing on their shoulders rather than deconstructing. Yeah, and not looking at them and saying, you suck. They're going to have real failures and real uh, problems, mm-hmm. some more than others. 
but to say, you gave me, by God's providence, this good thing, whatever it is. If, even if it's just, a, you know, there's a way to value your parents for showing you what you don't want to do as an adult. Mm-hmm. But it's this, what I'm calling for is a straining toward humble appreciation. Like honoring. Yeah, humble <laughs> gratitude as yeah. honoring. It's almost completely gone from our, from the culture you and I live in today. And uh, we're not going to survive if we can't recover it. What would you say to the comment that Jesus is the ultimate patriarch? Jesus is the ultimate patriarch. I don't initially have a problem with that. I mean, when you say Jesus is Lord, he's governing every molecule of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does it not as an ungendered creature. Right. right? He doesn't do it as an ungendered spiritual ideal. He does it as a gendered ultimate reality who also took up human flesh. Mm -hmm. And his pronouns matter. They're not fluid and they're not innovative. And so if you want to tell me the guy who's sitting on a throne at the head of all reality, governing everything and subduing every enemy to hand over as a gift to his father is a patriarch, that seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, what I'm thinking of is like the language, uh, prophet, priest, king, all patriarchal terms um, from the Old Testament, Mm. his identity. Uh, Even the second Adam, instead of being called the second Eve. Sure. um, Or the first of whatever. Now, he is the first. among many brothers. Yeah, he's the firstborn among many brothers. He's the firstborn from the dead. But those are downstream from these other vocational roles. It's what's necessary for him as a faithful son to a good father to accomplish the task given to him, right? Mm-hmm. And so we don't, I mean, we don't need to think of Jesus as innovative. Right. Jesus' self-conception. I'm, I'm preaching through John right now. Mm-hmm. Jesus always primarily understands himself in his relationship to his father. It's always he says this about me. He directs me in this way. He has sent me to do this. And uh, I think that is, I think that's reflective of sort of a general patriarchal character to ultimate reality. Mm -hmm. Amen. And so Jesus is the, essentially the patriarch we need and he helps to, um, well, he rebirths all of us. Like if you could simply view him as this, um, you know, if salvation um, is a gift, and Jesus is the one who, or the Father, gives it through the Son by the Spirit um, to whom he wills. And then seeing those folks changed into his likeness to be conformed to the image of Christ for all eternity. Um, I mean, I think that is much better than follow your heart. You know, it'd be much more like follow Jesus's heart, who is the true, ultimate, true, good and beautiful, the perfect prof, prophet, priest and king. Right. And he he loves us. He is. He has shown that. Look at his scars, right? And uh, all that for us, for his Father's glory. And um, I, I just think that is much better than, well, the, the sinister thing. I mean, the devil is the one who told Eve to follow her heart. Um, has God really said, you know, follow what you want rather than what God wants and what your husband would have for you? He's the one who asked her to think if she was very satisfied with her nature, mm-hmm. right? You could be like a God yeah, instead of just a human. I mean, it... It is true that the devil is not creative, and these lies that are currently very fashionable, even among the church, uh, they're as old as the garden. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Do you have anything to add to that? 
No, man, it it is so much better to just be a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I don't, um, I, conscience clear, I can say that without the least bit of self-exaltation or pride. It's just good to be under a good king. Amen. And uh, I'm so thankful to live under a good father who's a good shepherd, who's a good king, who's a good prophet, priest, and king. And uh, I, I wish everyone could self-consciously live in that, to, could self-consciously see the need to live sort of in that stream, because it would be the best gift you could give your neighbor. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's it, man. That's it for me too, buddy. All right. Well, listener, viewer, thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate you joining us for this. You know, if you're among the triggerata who are upset <laughs> with me, you're welcome to reach out and um, fire off uh, a mad comment. I will probably read it. So that's the thing that I can say. I'll, I'll probably read it. I'll probably have a really good laugh about it, and then I'll probably mute you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if if that's what you're interested in, feel free to do that. You can do that through the uh, podcast address at PCCDPod on Twitter. Um, Jared and I are going to keep doing what we're doing. Absolutely. Keep asking the Lord to bless it and honor it. We hope that if you're not one of the angry Twitter rata that uh, this has been profitable to you. And if you have any comments that are uh, follow-up, you know, you want to ask a question, if you want to give charitable pushback and friendly fraternal pushback correction, um, Cap Stewart did that on a Facebook post. Uh, Cap's a good guy. Uh, ha- you know, we're all happy to hear that stuff. We think it's sure. profitable. So so get after us uh, in those ways. Um, Jared, where can people find you on the Internet? Um, just one more comment. Mm-hmm. Isn't it funny that... Um that all these people on Twitter can follow their hearts, but you can't. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I cannot follow my heart in thinking Louise is a problem. <laughs> You're I, not allowed to. There is a standard I have to conform to. Yeah, yeah it's that's ironic, isn't it? Um, you can find me at Twitter, Jared H. Moore. Uh, hop, I'm sorry, that's my email. Jared, Jared H. Moore on Twitter. And then uh, my book is The Pop Culture Parents, where we essentially what we do in this uh, podcast, um, it's spelled out in detail in that book. So check that out. And if you have any questions or, you know, want to send hate mail, feel free to, to email me at jaredhmore.hotmail.com, and, um, and I'll be happy to reply. Uh, I, I've spent hours laughing at the tweets that y'all sent Jeff, and so uh, Thanks, guys. please keep those coming. Yeah, Jared, Jared has been really great to, <laughs> to give me a curated list of insults. Oh, my goodness. Those, they're really gifted at insulting. There are some really creative writers out there, and I know they're creative not just because they're good at insulting, but they're, they're really creative in the pronouns they come up with themselves for. So, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of untapped creative writing out there. Oh, boy. That's so funny. All right, man. Well, guys, thank you for tuning in to Pop Culture Quorum Deo. Uh, we appreciate every time you take a moment to listen. We're going to be back soon talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, until we are, this is Jeff Wright on behalf of Jared Moore, reminding you to live every moment as if you are before the face of God. Because you are. We'll talk to you all next time.